Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It's so great to be with you on this Thursday. What a show ahead of us, starting off with this. Every single day, things seem to get worse for Donald Trump, and today is no exception. This is big. A key individual in relation to the classified documents case has flipped, or at least agreed to flip on Donald Trump. This is Yusil Tavares, who is a former Mar-a-Lago IT worker, and initially he had a MAGA lawyer and had the strategy of denying any knowledge of the deletion of the destroying of evidence in the form of security footage, and then dumped the MAGA lawyer, got different representation, now he's taking a different approach, and he has struck an agreement with prosecutors to testify against Donald Trump and the other co-defendants in exchange for him avoiding prosecution. So here's this from CNN, Mar-a-Lago IT worker Yusil Tavares has struck a cooperation agreement with the special counsel's office in the federal case over former President Donald Trump's handling of classified documents, Tavares's former defense attorney said in a new court filing and then also being reported on um, from CNN once again. Here is Wolf Blitzer. Details coming out of this very historic first televised hearing in the Georgia election case, but we also have breaking news in the federal the federal classified documents case down in florida one of the key players has just flipped against former president trump and is now cooperating with the special counsel jack smith's office that according to the former defense attorney for mar-a-lago it worker yusil Tavares, who who says Tavares has agreed to testify in the case and in exchange he will not repeat not be prosecuted both Tavares and Carlos de la Vieira, the club's property manager, were initially suspected of giving false testimony after de denying allegations that they tried to erase incriminating security camera footage. So there it is. And it's not just Tavares flipping on Donald Trump. You also have uh, this from Politico. Trump's co-defendants are already starting to turn against him. The finger pointing among Donald Trump's inner circle has begun. And as his four criminal cases march toward trial, some of his aides, allies, and co-defendants are pointing at the former president as they should. In court documents and hearings, lawyers for people in Trump's orbit, uh, orbit both high-level advisors and lesser-known associates are starting to reveal glimmers of a tried-and-true strategy in cases with many defendants. Portray yourself as a hapless pawn while blaming um, while putting blame on the apparent kingpin. And one of the examples cited in this Politico piece is his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Last week, Trump's former White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, also charged in the Georgia case, signaled that his defense is likely to include blaming the former president as the primary driver of the effort. It also notes that Meadows made clear in his own testimony at last week's hearing that Trump viewed the uh, false electors as a significant part of his strategy to remain in power. He said he sent an email pushing the campaign to assemble those slates because he feared a tongue lashing from Trump. Uh, it is key to this broader effort being Trump being at the head of it portraying for the jury for Trump's prosecution the reality that it wasn't all of his people trying to help him stay in power but he wasn't necessarily knowledgeable of the false elector scheme and all these different things pressuring Mike Pence there's so much evidence already that we're knowledgeable about that it's not as if that would be hard to prove but it's important that it is able to be proven and having people such as Mark Meadows testify to the fact that Donald Trump was directing these actions and viewed something like the fraudulent slate of electors being pushed and then attempting to get the vice president at the time mike pence to accept those are the real ones when they're not signing fraudulent forms and at all um and trump was 
seeing that as a key part of the broader strategy and pushing for it is crucial. And once again, a reminder of the dangerous moment we were in when it comes to our democracy. So whether it be Mark Meadows, Tavares, or others to come, lots of people are willing to point the finger at Donald Trump, like I said, rightfully so, to protect their own behind. One of the ways that Trump is defended often is when it comes to kind of the Republican response will be saying that there's a two-tier justice system that's slanted against Republicans, that hurts Republicans, benefits Democrats. And one of the examples they'll cite is Hunter Biden. He's being protected by Biden's DOJ and uh, Merrick Garland's interfering in the investigation and preventing actual accountability. Well, I have this for you from the New York Times. We've gone through step-by-step step previously why it's not accurate, but now I have a very blatant example of that talking point's inaccuracy. Justice Department says it will indict Hunter Biden on gun charge this month. Biden's DOJ indicting Biden's son. Now, uh, it should be noted because of all the wild accusations that get levied against Joe Biden, the bribery and all of that, it's unrelated to the Republicans' claims, right? This is Hunter Biden's, as we've talked about, very troubled life being dealt with. And in this case, it has to do with him lying on a federal form saying he wasn't addicted to a controlled substance when he was to get a firearm. And you can't do that. And thus he's being held accountable for it. David C. Weiss, a special counsel investigating Hunter Biden, said on Wednesday that he planned to indict the president's son on a gun charge before the end of the month. They moved prompted by the acrimonious collapse of a plea deal in July. In a three-page update, Filed in federal court in Wilmington, Delaware, Mr. Weiss laid out plans to bring charges related to Mr. Biden's purchase of a pistol in 2018 when prosecutors say he lied on a federal form by stating that he was not using drugs at the time. Mr. Biden had previously agreed to participate in a two-year diversion program for nonviolent gun offenders as a part of the plea deal, which unraveled dramatically at the last minute this summer, and Hunter Biden's lawyers are saying they are going to uh, try to reach an agreement before those charges are filed, but it seems to be the case that David Weiss is going to indict Hunter Biden. So again, after insisting that the DOJ was bending over backwards to protect Hunter Biden, now Hunter Biden, by that very same DOJ, is going to be indicted. And if there's evidence to prove the things they're alleging, then absolutely prosecute the guy. And that is what I see a lot of people on the left perfectly willing to do is say, even if the last name is Biden or a Democrat or whatever, if there's evidence of crimes, hold them accountable legally. And that also applies to Republicans. But when it comes to those defending Donald Trump, a lot of people on the right, the partisanship becomes a complete and total blinder. And that is taking away their ability to just stand by the principle of law and order as they used to insist they stood for. And I do think, get ready. I haven't seen the right-wing media response to this yet. It's kind of new news, but it's going to somehow be twisted into, but they're still doing 40 chess to protect Hunter Biden somehow. And I'll remind you that David Weiss uh, was the subject of this whistleblower hearing that Republicans held. And one of the things that was alleged was Merrick Garland is preventing David Weiss from getting special counsel authorities, and thus he's interfering, trying to protect Hunter Biden. David Weiss wrote to the committee saying, no, 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 that's not happening. I'm good. If I need it, I can get it. And then later on, he requested it. He got it. 
special counsel status that is as he's overseeing this investigation into hunter biden which just gives you extra authority and now he's bringing charges against hunter biden and so everything that i've been walking us through over the last months in relation to this whole storyline with the right wing is proving to be accurate and it's playing out especially with this story um, because again if you want to put it in very contradictory terms i guess the two-tier justice system represented by Biden's DOJ in an effort to protect Hunter Biden is indicting Hunter Biden. That's the headline form that sticks to the uh, right-wing narrative here. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's fascinating to watch as the desperation to defend Donald Trump progresses, how illogical the talking points become. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is still, as we've talked about, holding up hundreds of military promotions in protest of his stance on the Defense Department's stance on abortion. And it's outrageous what he's doing. It is affecting the military readiness of our country. And that was called out during a recent interview on CNN by the Secretary of the Navy saying he is aiding and abetting our enemies. Take a look at this, then we'll get to uh, Tommy Tuberville's response. Forgive me, for someone who was born in a communist country, I would have never imagined that actually one of our own senators would actually be aiding and abetting communists and other autocratic regimes around the world. This is having a real negative impact and will continue to have a real negative impact on our combat readiness. And that's what the American people truly need to understand. And Tuberville's whole thing here is just in service of a political stunt so that he can prove he's the most anti-choice and the most against the Defense Department's handling of military members' abortions. It's ridiculous. And then I have for you John Kirby, who, forgetting his exact title, but on the communication side of the National Security Council, and he was asked during a recent CNN segment about Tuberville's response to what you just saw there. So you'll see Tommy Tuberville's response to what Carlos uh, del Toro said there, the Secretary of the Navy, about him, then you'll get John Kirby's response to that. Firm to go ahead and take additional positions. The Navy Secretary just told our Jake Tapper that the uh, hold aids and abets U.S. adversaries, namely China. Tuberville just responded. Listen to this. I'm disappointed that a secretary would say that about a senator. Uh, and he sat in this very office uh, when he was uh, going up for confirmation himself. And, and, uh, you know, just makes you feel bad that we got leaders in the country like that. Because, uh, as I just told you, if I thought it was hurting readiness, I wouldn't be doing this. But it's not. It's concerning. So, of course, he's then saying he knows better than the actual military leaders themselves on if this is hurting military readiness or not. Which, obviously, holding up promotions, holding up people being put in the correct positions and locked in and having their leadership uh formally begin in that position of course that would be not good for military readiness and the functioning of our military but he knows better than the secretary of the navy that you got people that that are in secretary positions like that that would say something like that in our country uh instead of getting on the phone and calling me 
what's your reaction to what the senator said? Well, my best advice to the senator is if you don't like being criticized for this uh, outrageous effort to hold up these uh, promotions and advancements, and then lift your hold. If it bothers you that, that, that there were, we're publicly talking about the impacts it's having, and it is having an impact, then just lift the hold. It's and it also has to be noted that how long have we heard Republicans say they're the most pro-military, they're the most concerned with military readiness, they're the most concerned with having a strong, effective military correct leaders in the correct places, et cetera, et cetera. But now, because of his opposition to the military's handling of individuals' abortions, he's willing to throw that all out the window. And as military leaders are shouting, this is hurting our military readiness, this is damaging the functioning of our military, he says, nah, if I thought it was doing that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but I don't think it's doing that, even though he's being told that it is. And it's a contradiction of the principle that people like Tommy Tuberville purport to stand for. Now, if he doesn't understand how this hurts military readiness, a Pentagon spokesperson explained it in very simple terms for him. It seems like obviously we're still at such a standstill. What is the what's the solution here? What's the next step? <laughs> yeah, well, well, really, I mean, I would refer you to the Senate, to the Congress uh, to to answer that question. You know, I've, I've been asked before to try to put this into context uh, in terms of why does this matter? Um, and, you know, with football season starting, I would say imagine going into uh, the football season with a bunch of acting coaches uh, for each of our teams with a regulation that limits any of those acting coaches from presuming that he or she was actually going to officially lead the team. Uh, and those acting coaches who come up through the organization are now responsible for not only being the offensive and defensive coordinators, but also acting as the head coach. Uh, and so in the short, short term, they're likely going to make things happen because that's what good leaders do. Uh, but what happens when performance on the field becomes impacted? So for a former football coach, Tommy Tuberville, that should be a good analogy to get his head around. One last thing on this, I saw that he went on Laura Ingram's show on Fox News to continue to justify what he's doing. And once again, wanted to contextualize this. I'm not just protesting the Defense Department's stance on abortion. I'm also protesting woke. There's no second place in war, okay? We have to have the best. And right now, we are so woke in the military, we're losing recruits right and left. Uh, Secretary Del Toro over the Navy, he needs to get to building ships, he needs to get to recruiting, and he needs to get wokeness out of our Navy. We've got people doing poems on aircraft carriers over the loudspeaker. Uh, it, it is absolutely insane of the direction that we're headed in our military, and we're headed downhill, not uphill. Could we? I'm so sick of that talking point. It's the laziest talking point. It's a sign of someone's own inability to craft an actual argument. So instead, it's just I'm fighting back against woke, and that's why what I'm doing is okay. Now, of course, it's not true, as shown by the evidence he cited being a poem was read on a loudspeaker, okay. <laughs> um, but also, often there will people pushing that idea will say, we know that wokeness is harming our military because of our recruiting numbers, and recruiting is declining because people are afraid to join the woke military. Well, even with 
all of the propaganda saying our military has gone too woke, only 5% of respondents who were getting polled on why they're uh, hesitant to join the military listed wokeness as an issue compared with 13% who listed uh, their belief that women and minorities will face discrimination and not get the same opportunities. So actually, based on that survey, going in a more woke direction, meaning trying to address the discrimination the minorities and women potentially face, would be better for recruitment. Flies in the face of what Tommy Tuberville is saying. And also, can you imagine a Democratic senator saying what you just heard Tommy Tuberville say there, minus the woke part, but saying our military is not uh, strong, we don't have the best, and it's not it's going in a really bad direction, I think, was the wording that he used. They constantly proclaim themselves to be the most pro-military and patriotic, etc., etc., etc. But then, the second he perceives the military, which, what does that even mean to have gone too woke? They request people not to be racist. Oh my goodness, it's falling apart. America. Then, all of a sudden, he's willing to say, our military is going in a horrible direction, we're not going to be the best military, and we're not strong, blah, blah, blah just violation of their own principle after violation of their own principle with this current batch of Republicans so consistently, and it's driving me nuts. We've talked about how Vivek Ramaswamy, the Republican presidential candidate, is really good at being bad, I guess. He's really good at specifically avoiding answering questions, avoiding answering for his dishonesty and for his hypocrisy in interviews we've gone over. And he will get posed to him one of his own quotes and somehow he filibusters his way out of actually answering for it or he outright denies a quote that is his or says that's not accurate or whatever. And he's done a good job of not getting nailed down and it's aggravating because hosts don't push him hard enough. Now I have for you the opposite of that. Mehdi Hassan took him to task and showed us how it's done in interviews with really it feels weird to use this term because of the following term, but skilled, dishonest people who are good at the um, bad, like I said previously. And Mehdi Hassan did not let him squirm out of answering the question. It was great to see. So it's in relation to specifically Vivek Ramaswamy in the past, after January 6th, condemned what Trump did and called it specifically abhorrent and called Trump a threat to democracy. And now... Very different tune coming from Ramaswamy. And now he wants to win over MAGA, and so he really doesn't want to make clear that was his stance, and he always brings it back to, no, but also I said that censorship by the left caused January 6th, and you'll see that all play out here. Great job, I met Hassan. You say he behaved in downright abhorrent behavior that makes him a danger to democracy. Yes, what was so, it that so was downright? Let's, Tell let's me what be, he did that was downright let's abhorrent. A, let's actually be... Let's actually be really fair to your audience. So on January 10th, 2021, thereabouts, days after that incident, I wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal arguing that censorship was the real cause of what happened on January 6th. Which when asked true, in response, yeah. somebody asked me the question, are you that that's that's well, that's what I wrote. I'm giving you the facts okay. of what I said. That's a hard Understood. fact that was published in the Wall Street Journal when pressed on. Was that condoning what Trump did? My answer was no. There is a difference between a bad judgment and Understood. a crime. And, and we you're need to be able to tell the what difference in this country. What did Donald Trump do, no, I'm not in your question. view, that was downright abhorrent? Second time I I'll think that, that the thing that I... So let's stop there. He's going to keep going, and it just is one of my favorite moments on TV in a while. 
What normally happens is the host goes, you said this about Trump, abhorrent, danger to democracy. Why are you kind of shifting off of that? And Vivek Ramaswamy will go, okay, listen, let's be fair to your audience. Something completely different. And I, censorship caused January 6th, and, but I'm not condemning Trump. That's a very different statement. I'm not condemning Trump, but censorship caused January 6th, than abhorrent danger to democracy. Two different things. And he does want to get to the talking point of a bad judgment's different than criminal behavior, obviously. But there he's trying to dishonestly defend uh, Trump's potential criminality. And normally you'll see hosts just go, okay, next question. Um, what you said on Russia's invasion of Ukraine and just let that slide. And so then a lot of viewers just, all right, well, absorb what he said and then move on. And Mehdi Hassan doesn't do that. I would have done differently if I were in his shoes. That's not what I asked, is, Vivek, I would have respect. declared re-election on That's January 7th. I'll ask that, it a third That's time. exactly the thing what I would have done. What did Trump do that was egregious, quote, downright abhorrent and a danger to democracy? Can you just explain to our viewers your words? So, 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 so you're, you're mixing two different quotes, but what did I think was reprehensible about what happened that day? Look, I think that the way a true leader should have handled that situation should have been to actually say, this is me running for re-election, yeah. not actually litigating what is already passed in behind us. And I would have done things differently. That is not a crime, though, I, what I he understand. did. I understand. And the reason what, I have been the, so vehement. You keep saying no, what you would have done. I just want why, to hear from your mouth. No, no. I would not, unless you're scared of him, yeah. why won't you maybe, say what maybe, he did that was maybe, downright I'm not abhorrent? Gonna, I'm not going to let you... Stitched, okay, you're stitching together let's, three things from three different let's places put the tweet. to create let's put a caricature. The tweet. Do you want, what Trump did do you last want to have an wrong. actual conversation? Yes, I want you to answer my question, Vivek. Three Mehdi, times I've asked it. What did Trump do and, and, that was and, downright abhorrent? It's a yes. simple question. It's your words. It's on screen. I think what did he fact, do that was downright I think, abhorrent? I believe that failing to unite this country falls short of what a true leader ought to do. That is why I'm in this race, is to do things differently than any prior president has done them. That's the hard truth, okay? And that's what now made the him reality a is loser and a yes, the Well, the reality is none of that is a crime. Really? And the reason it. I have been so vocal, okay. the reason I have been so vocal is because when somebody actually prosecutes somebody for a bad judgment, and I've been I, clear. I, I understand. But that wasn't the question. Whew, and we'll stop it there. Wow. That was incredible. Especially, maybe even if you haven't kept up with Vivek Ramaswamy previously, you would think, ah, Mehdi Hassan maybe is going to full court press. But if you've seen his past interviews, you know he'll spin and spin and spin and he'll wiggle his way out of all of these questions every single time and he'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk so you can't ever get the answer for your audience as the job of a host and interviewer in a situation like this and so i think Mehdi hassan knew that he's seen the pattern of vivek ramaswamy and thus was ready for it and wasn't even going to give him the typical response time before jumping in and making sure he knew he you're gonna have to address this or you're going to obviously being avoid uh, be avoiding it for my audience because sometimes it it seems clear someone's avoiding the question but after they talk for a while a lot of people can forget it and just start listening to what they're saying but if you ask three times the same question then the viewer is really trying to get a specific answer and notices more obviously that uh, here Ramaswamy is avoiding 
the question. So then, without Mehdi Hassan even having to point this out, it's clear to everyone, um, and it makes people ponder, why is he avoiding so much? Why is he so afraid? And it's because he is violating what he said was a principle of his, what he stated as a view of his, being Trump threatened democracy, and Vivek was saying he was against that. And Trump trying to overthrow our democratic process and then riling up and not intervening and not speaking out against fast enough the attack on the Capitol. All of that, it was abhorrent. Vivek knew that. He called it out. But now he prioritizes his own political advantage over our democracy or at least speaking out against threats to our democracy. And that is what is really frightening about a lot of these Republican candidates and leaders that so quickly they can flip. We've seen it with a lot of them. They can flip from being uh, very aggressively willing to condemn Trump, rightfully so. The second they realize that's not beneficial for them, and now they don't want to answer for their past statements. And that shows even then it wasn't as strong of a principle as they wanted people to believe that it was, being standing for democracy, being caring about our constitution, etc. Etc. One more thing here from Mehdi Hassan. He reflected on that interview with Chris Hayes shortly afterwards. Mehdi Hassan joins me now. You know, uh, I you, you're you're I think the best interviewer in American media. Oh, you're too kind, Chris. Well, at that at that kind of thing, you really are. You're you're phenomenal at it. Um, the what is the Vivek Ramaswamy method? What what's been sort of amazing to me is like, I feel like he's set some sort of Olympian record of glibness. Just like everything is just like, well, I would simply do this. This is so easy. It's like everything yeah. is easy. Everything's obvious. Like, and it's like, well, no, not everything's that obvious. What, what, what was your takeaway from, from, from going toe-to-toe -to -toe with him? Uh, the takeaway I had is that there are two big issues with Ramaswamy. One is, what is his qualification to be president of the United States? Fair And the other question. is, can we trust... Can we trust anything he says? And those were the two themes I stuck to. He was a little irked by that. He did the kind of, oh, these are gotchas. Why can't we talk about substance? But my point is, why, why would I want to discuss the details of your peace plan for Ukraine before we first establish whether you should be president, right? Like, anyone can say, I've got a plan for Ukraine. You go on the internet right now, 100 people have opinions on Ukraine. The issue is, why this guy? What's he going to do about it? How can we trust him? And I think, you know, what I tried to do, I asked him about, you know, he used to criticize Trump. And now he doesn't, because he probably wants to be Trump's vice president. So I put that to him. And, you know, the Soros stuff, you just... We'll stop it there for the sake of time. But I do think it's a great point, and he communicated it in a really good way there, of often the response from people, like even Mike Pence and definitely Vivek Ramaswamy and others, to questions, DeSantis for sure, to questions about Trump, about January 6th, and a few other things, is... Come on, can't we talk about the real issues? Can't we talk about something other than the former president? Can't we talk about my policy on this, that, and the other thing? And often that's a compelling response because a lot of people in the audience will think, oh yeah, there are a lot of issues. Why are they focusing on this one? But I think it would be perfectly great, and I want to see this more, if hosts would respond by saying, absolutely not, because right here we're establishing if you even have a basic respect for our constitution, then let's talk about policy until we're blue in the face. Wonderful. But if I can't even establish that you're willing to condemn an attempt to overthrow our democratic process and our government, then why would I care about your view on, like you said, Russian invasion of Ukraine or social security or your policy on lowering prescription drug costs or anything? Because those things 
all assume that we have a functioning democracy that we can battle them out with it. But if you're okay with the threat to that democracy, then nah, we're not talking about anything else. And that's perfectly fine for hosts to establish uh, that as their principle in interviews with these Republicans who are all over the place on what should be a basic question. Yes, I'm against attempting to subvert the will of the people, disenfranchise millions of voters, and overthrow our democracy. Seems pretty easy. Um, but it wasn't, and it isn't for Vivek Ramaswamy. Now let's talk about impeachment. Republicans are saying that they're going to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden based on allegations they've been unable to substantiate. And uh, Matt Gates has been saying even that if they don't get a floor vote on launching this impeachment inquiry, then he's going to call for the removal of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. And we also talked about Marjorie Greene saying she's going to make a condition of her supporting funding the government, an impeachment inquiry, Lauren Boebert saying she's going to force a vote. And so this is definitely being pushed by the right flank of the GOP. But not the entire House Republican caucus is on board. And Ken Buck, as we've looked at in the past, but I have a new example for you here, is calling out his own party in an interesting fashion. Now admitting, I don't think the evidence is there, guys. And I'll show you that in a moment. But first, here is Matt Gates revealing just how strong he wants to pressure Ken McCarthy to make this happen. Then we'll get to Ken Buck. I have traveled the country and spoken to so many Americans they're disillusioned with House Republicans right now. They think that we have not put up uh, a substantial battle to defeat the worst elements of this Biden administration. Uh, I worked very hard in January to develop a toolkit for us to be able to reorient the House of Representatives in a productive and positive way. I don't believe we've used those tools as effectively as we should have. And uh, when we get back to Washington in, in the coming weeks, we have got to seize the initiative. That means forcing votes on impeachment. And if Kevin McCarthy stands in our way, uh, he may not have the job long. So let's he may not have the job long. This is what happens. Kevin McCarthy, Republicans, moderate Republicans, when you placate, when you allow for this type of Republican to become so prominent, powerful and influential within your party. And that's what happened. We've seen Kevin McCarthy trying to make happy people like Matt Gates, Marjorie Greene, Lauren Boebert, and some of the other more extreme Republicans. The MAGA Republican part of his party, he wants to keep happy. But the more you do that, the more they're going to ask for and boss you around. And then here is Ken Buck on CNN admitting what we've been talking about for a while now, which is you're going to impeach him or at least open an inquiry into uh, impeaching him or in relation to impeaching him based on allegations that you don't have evidence to substantiate, at least right now. And that's very important to have. I wanted to get your uh, take uh, on your colleague, Congressman Matt Gates, saying he is prepared uh, to um, force a floor vote on impeaching President Biden. And if Speaker McCarthy blocks the effort, he is threatening to make a motion to oust Speaker McCarthy. What do you think of that? Well, I think I think Speaker McCarthy has said a number of uh, times that he wants to bring a vote on the impeachment inquiry, not necessarily the impeachment, but the impeachment inquiry. Uh, so I think he and, and Congressman Gates are on the same page there. I don't think that there is a, an appetite right now for a motion to vacate 
uh, Speaker McCarthy. I think that uh, we have three committees that are working very hard on uncovering evidence of Hunter Biden's wrongdoing. Uh, they are looking to see if there is a connection with Joe Biden. If they reach that point where they can find evidence of a connection, uh, fine. I think the Republicans will move forward with an impeachment inquiry. Right now, I'm not convinced that that evidence exists, and I'm not supporting an impeachment inquiry. That's interesting, too. He didn't even word it as, I'm not sure we've found the evidence or we can present the evidence. We don't have the evidence with us, but we know it's out there, which is sort of... Uh, more what you'd hear from a lot of the other Republicans. There he's saying, I don't even know if it exists, meaning I don't even know if that connection's there. And the connection being referred to is uh, the corrupt part on the part of Biden would be if he was connected to the business dealings of Hunter Biden. Obviously, if Hunter Biden was out doing business things and then giving Joe Biden money for decisions that Biden makes as vice president that benefits businesses, all that would be horrible criminal. And uh, we would want accountability for something like that. But they haven't been able to actually prove that that happened whatsoever. And uh, so Ken Buck, even though not someone I agree with almost ever, is accurately assessing that and he has been saying stuff like this for a while when it comes to impeachment remember this why do you believe that speaker mccarthy in the last 24 36 hours has begun to lean more into the no notion of opening an impeachment inquiry this is impeachment theater we right now are starting the appropriations process and there is not a consensus on the republican side about what the numbers should be kevin mccarthy promised when he was running for speaker uh, one set of numbers, and then he uh, made an agreement with President Biden for the debt ceiling increase on another set of numbers. So right now, he has got to convince the public that he's credible and that Republicans have a duty to follow him. Impeachment theater, and like we talked about in the past, Kim Buck believes that Kevin McCarthy is distracting from what Kim Buck finds to be more important, being appropriations and the debate over cutting spending will be what Buck wants. And he thinks Kevin McCarthy is not going to get as many concessions from Democrats on that when it comes to funding the government. And so he can kind of make people happy within his party with the impeachment stuff while he does things that they maybe previously would be unhappy with when it comes to funding. I do want to read because I mentioned the allegations against Biden once again from this transcript with the bombshell Republican whistleblower or not whistleblower, the uh, witness they brought in who was the former business associate of Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, got asked about this. He was supposed to blow the lid off of the corruption of Joe Biden, got asked about, is there a connection? Question, so based on everything you saw, heard, and observed, did you have any knowledge of Joe Biden having any involvement with Burisma? No. And we've gone through more specifically this transcript in the past. It's not based on the facts. It's based on trying to, two big things, just purely attack President Biden, because he's the political opponent, right? But also, if they can portray Joe Biden to be corrupt, then Donald Trump's corruption seems less significant. Donald Trump's actual, at least serious allegations of criminal activity seems less serious, potentially, to voters. And that's what's going on here. I'll close by saying Axios reports top Senate Republicans are far from enthusiastic about the House GOP's moves toward an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Um, some senators say the evidence is still too thin to merit such a drastic step, while others simply don't want to go through another trial after former President Trump's historic dual impeachments. But see, that second part's saying the same thing. If Biden was bribed as they accuse him of, heck yeah, 
impeach him. It's the fact that there's no evidence to prove that. So for both the people who say the evidence is too thin and others just saying, oh, I don't want a bunch of impeachments after the Trump impeachment, both agree there's not enough evidence. Otherwise, they would support and they should support impeachment if there was evidence for the things the Republicans are accusing President Biden of. I talk about every single day the modern Republican Party and I acknowledge and discuss how extreme it's become and still I'm smacked in the face by examples that still stun me even though I know that to be the case but still I get stunned by examples on a daily basis and this is one of them Republican presidential candidate and governor of Florida Ron DeSantis got asked about Enrique Tarrio, the former leader of the Proud Boys, the far-right pro-Trump militia who was sentenced to 22 years in prison for his role in plotting the attack on uh, the Capitol on January 6th, a plot to overthrow our government and install Trump the president. The most un-American thing imaginable, the most unconstitutional thing imaginable. And Ron DeSantis got asked about pardoning him what and says mm, i don't know we'll think about it and then it talks about how it seems unfair what's going on again a republican presidential candidate governor of a state getting asked about a domestic terrorist and someone who engaged in a plot again to overthrow our government attempted to keep someone the president who lost an election engaged in and planned a coup and still Ron DeSantis says oh something fishy's going on I might have to take a look and maybe we'll pardon Enrique Tarrio very quickly uh governor I just have a couple of seconds January 6th some of the people that are that uh, are going away now they've 15 18 and 22 years for Tarrio as a, as a president would, would President Ron DeSantis commute or pardon those guys we will look at all those cases. I mean, so there's some examples of people that should not have been prosecuted. They just walked into the Capitol. If they were BLM, they would not have been prosecuted. Then there's other examples of people that probably did commit misconduct. They may have been violent. But to say it's an act of terrorism when it was basically a, a, a protest that devolved into a riot uh, to do excessive sentences, you can look at, okay, maybe they were guilty, but 22 years, if other people that did other things got six months. So I think we need a single standard of justice. And so we'll use pardons and commutations as appropriate to ensure that everyone's treated equally. And as we know, a lot of people with the BLM riots, they didn't get mm, prosecuted. Everything's the BLM riots. <laughs> My goodness. People were prosecuted, by the way. Get prosecuted at all. Okay. Can we go back to this part? Let's see before responding uh, to do excessive sentences you can look at okay maybe they were guilty but 22 years if other people that did other things got six months <laughs> did you hear he says one person got 22 years being a Tario, but other people who did other things got just months ron that's how the law works <laughs> that's how prosecutions work sometimes one person gets a different sentence than someone else who did a different thing that's yes nailed it um okay so let's play this out first let me remind you of some new york times reporting 
document in January 6 case shows plan to storm government buildings. A document found by federal prosecutors in the possession of a far-right leader contained, and that's Enrique Tarrio, a detailed plan to surveil and storm government buildings around the Capitol on January 6 last year. People familiar, uh, familiar with the document said on Monday, and the document was titled 1776 Returns. Imagine if a Muslim person or a group of Muslim individuals who were terrorists attacked the Capitol and then you found the plot to overthrow the government they had been putting together. And then you watched as they did the thing that they wanted to do being overthrowing the government. Do you think Ron DeSantis would be saying, 22 years, a little excessive. We might have to think about pardoning. If the plan was to overthrow the government, seditious conspiracy, that's what we're talking about here. Again, if it was a Muslim person, you would be hearing something very different because we heard something very different with other domestic terrorism from these same people. Or he brought up BLM. Okay. Imagine if BLM, you found their document that outlined their plan to do 1776 again. <laughs> and then they did the thing that they're being accused of on camera. Or in the case of Enrique Tario, his minions did it because he was the, the leader of the organization. He wasn't actually attacking the Capitol himself. But you found their plan. It's there. And then you see what the plan is doing when it's played out. If it was BLM, Ron DeSantis would be a hundred years old, still screaming about that. But when it's MAGA, he's considering pardons. They're not for law and order. They're not for any of that. It's only when it's politically advantageous. And I was sick of it. And as I talked about in this past segment, it should be the only thing these Republicans are asked about. Nope, back to this, back to this, back to this. If you can't say you're for our Constitution being upheld and not supportive of individuals who were trying to shred our Constitution just to keep Trump the president, then I don't want to hear your stance on woke, Ron, or your stance on foreign policy or anything else. That's the only thing I want to hear about. If you can't commit to our Constitution and our democracy, then everything else you stand for is irrelevant. My goodness, what a moment. And this is one of the candidates who's supposed to be not as MAGA, but incredibly right-wing, obviously. But he's not as pro-Trump because he's running against him, so maybe he could call out stuff like this. No. This is the modern Republican Party. It's disturbing. We will end it there today. <laughs> Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.